Let me just on your behalf thank our musicians and also for the first time our singers. I, I feel they've added a, another lovely dimension to our worship, so it's been wonderful to have them this evening. Turn with me, if you have closed your Bibles, to Colossians chapter 1 and verse 4, uh, well, the first 14 verses there, page 1182. Let us pray. Father God, we do want to sing of the wonders of your love all of our days. Lord, we pray that as we spend time now in your word, you'd show us more of yourself. Lord, as we know you better, we will praise you more. Lord, as we know more of you, our hearts will overflow with gratitude. So come now and show us yourself, we pray. Amen. One of the great joys in my life these days is watching my son grow. Since Patrick was born 18 months ago, Claire and I have been expect, experiencing the, all the joys that, that maybe a lot of you have experienced here, the joys of parenthood, anticipating every step along the way as our child matures. First of all, we're dying to see him crawl, hardly believing that the little tiny baby would ever be able to do that. But then one day, he finds forward gear and off he goes. And then it's so exciting when finally they learn to walk. Well, the thing that's going on in our house at the moment is Patrick is learning to talk. So funny, just over lunch today, Claire was trying to write down for, for posterity some of the phrases and words that, that Patrick's using at the moment. And it was quite exciting to put together a list of the kind of things that he's trying to say. It's the most natural thing in the world for a parent to want to see their child develop. And it's a very strong impulse and a desire that they have to nurture that and to draw that out from their child. I think that feeling that, that Claire and I experience and that all other parents experience serves as a very good metaphor for Paul's desires for the people in Colossae to whom he's written this letter. Paul's imprisoned in Ephesus or Rome, and he's writing them a letter to Colossae, and his desire is to see these infant Christians develop and grow and come to full maturity in Jesus Christ. If you were here last week, you'll remember that that's what we said Paul's aim is in this letter, to draw these young believers towards maturity in Christ. Now, what's Paul to do? He's imprisoned. What can you do when you're in prison to help uh, young believers grow in their faith in Christ? Well, Paul does the things that he, he possibly can. The first thing he does is he writes a letter, and, and we have that letter before us, and that's the letter that's the, the subject of our study these Sunday evenings. But writing isn't the only thing that Paul can do, and it's not even the, the best thing that Paul can do for these young Christians. The best thing that he can do and the thing that he does most wholeheartedly is to pray for them. Remember, we thought about this together last week. In verse 3, we learned that Paul is always in prayer for the believers in Colossae. He's not able to be with them himself, 
but he knows that the God who is with him in prison is the same God who's with them in Colossae. And so as he prays, their two worlds become one. He invokes God to to work in Colossae among these young believers. Look with me at verse 9. We'll pick up where where we left off last week. In verse 9, Paul says, For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we haven't stopped praying for you. Now, these, these connecting phrases in Paul's letters are always really, really important. So, whenever we see something like, for this reason, we should be asking the question, for what reason? What is it that Paul has said previously that he's picking up on here? What is the reason that is the grounds for Paul's continual prayer? Well, the answer lies in verses 3 to 8. If you remember, last week Paul was talking about all the wonderful things that have been going on in this church in Colossae. There's a community there that has faith in Christ Jesus, we're told. It's a community where the the saints love one another, and both their faith and their love are rooted in the hope that they have for what's ahead of them in heaven. It's for this reason that Paul doesn't stop praying for them. All of the great things that God's already done in Colossae act for Paul as a springboard. He says, if, Paul's, if God's already done all of this, let's pray that he'll continue to do more and more in the future. It really struck me as I was preparing this that, that this is a wonderful model for us here at Kirkpatrick. Because God has been doing wonderful things in our church. Wonderful things, particularly in in, in recent months and years. We, in a sense, are in a similar boat as as Paul is. We we know of, of a church where God has been powerfully at work. So what do we do? Do we then sit back and switch off and say, well, well, it's this has been great. God's blessed us and now we can start coasting. Well, that's not what Paul does. That's not how he responds to what God's already done in Colossae. What Paul does is he uses that as a springboard for future prayers, and that, I believe, is what we need to be doing here at Kirkpatrick. We've already, we've prayed prayers such as, Lord, send us new members to strengthen the life of this congregation. And God's done that. He's done it in staggering ways. So what do we do? Do we stop praying? Or do we continue to pray that that those people whom God has sent to us would grow here? They would grow in maturity and in knowledge of Jesus Christ. Why not continue to pray that those people who, who are here, who have been here for years, but don't yet know Jesus, would soon come to a saving faith in Him? And why not continue to pray that though God has already blessed us by sending many new people among us, that He would send more? If we, are, if we really believe that God is at work among us here, why not pray that God would continue and that that work would grow and grow? In a word, let's, let's do what Paul does Let's ask God to continue doing the work that he's already doing. Well, Paul's whole prayer here 
is a great model for us to follow. And as I look closely at this prayer, I think I discovered four separate things that Paul asks for on behalf of the believers in Colossae. I'm going to go through those four things this evening. By the way, I might spend a little bit more time on the number one and two. So if you're somebody who, who is maybe pacing, if, if you extrapolate from the first one, you could see this ending around about 10 o'clock, but that's not going to happen, believe me. If I spend a little bit of time on the first one or two, the other two will be much shorter. The first, the first thing that Paul prays, and in a sense this opening phrase is the foundation for the whole prayer, Paul asks God to fill the believers in Colossae with the knowledge of his will. That's the first thing he prays for. Fill these young believers, Lord God, with the knowledge of your will. Now, what does that mean? The knowledge of God's will here is, is much, much more than Paul just praying that these young believers will know what God wants them to do. That's not really capturing the whole of what Paul's talking about here. Paul's not praying, for example, that these new Christians would be able to learn the Ten Commandments and any other laws in the Bible, that they'd be able to remember them and that they'd be able to do them. That, that's not, that wouldn't capture at all what Paul's praying here. What Paul's talking about here is he wants these young Christians to have an understanding of the whole of God's purposes for human life. The whole of what God intends our lives under him to be. That's what he's talking about. That's the knowledge of, of the will of God that Paul has in mind. If we, if we look at, at verse 9 as a whole, we see there that the knowledge of God's will comes through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So Paul's using three words here, knowledge, wisdom, and understanding. And those three are really important in Paul's letters. Knowledge, wisdom, and understanding are very important to Paul. And they're important to him because they'd be important to anyone with any sort of a Jewish background. Because those words were very important to them. They captured a lot of what God looked for in his people. You only need to read the Old Testament books like Proverbs, uh, some of the wisdom Psalms, the, the Song of Solomon, and the other wisdom books. God longed for His people to become wise. As they became wiser, they, they had a fuller and better grasp of what God, what God was doing in the world and what He wanted for them to be. In a sense, it, referring back to our morning sermons, I think as we become wise, we become like Adam before the fall. We understand properly our relationship to God, that He is our God and that we are, are His because He created us. And we understand better our relationships with one another. All of these things are part of what God longs for us in, in this wisdom and knowledge of His will. I want to think with you for a moment about that, though. Because it seems to me that the place of knowledge and wisdom and understanding in the church are, are really up for grabs and, and open to some debate. God expects us to use our minds. That's what the Bible teaches us. But you'd hardly know that if you went to worship in a lot of Ulster congregations today. 
There's a lot of church life that almost prides itself in being anti-intellectual. You'd almost get the impression that, well, using your brain is something that you do somewhere else. That's what you do in your day job, Monday to Friday or Monday to Saturday. But it's not something that we'll ask you to do here. We, one thing we'll never ask you to do here is to think. Well, friends, that seems to me to be a, a very limited way of, of thinking about our life under God. Do you remember what Jesus said when he was asked the question, what's the greatest commandment? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your mind, your soul, and your strength. Jesus wants us to love him with his mind. And that's what Paul's praying for here, that the minds of these young believers would become active and open, full of the will of knowledge of the will of God. Paul's second request for the believers in Colossae flows out of the first. Look with me at verse 10. He says, we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. Whenever we grow in the knowledge of the will of God, it'll change how we live. If as I was talking there about the intellect and, and the use of our mind, you were thinking, well, what use is that? It doesn't really change how we live. Believe me, if our mind is properly converted to God, it will affect how we live. Any type of, of learning and understanding that doesn't change how we live, it, it is a waste of space. Biblically, it has no place. I remember this being being impressed on us time and time again at Regent College when we were studying there. The professors would hammer home this point to us. You're not here for information. It's not about learning lots of the Bible and lots of theology. You're here for transformation. That the things that you learn of God are to change who you are and how you live. And that's what Paul has in mind here, that as we are renewed in our minds that we're filled with the knowledge of the will of God, we start to live lives worthy of God. There's something I want you to notice in passing here. Paul prays that the new Christians in Colossae would live lives that may please God in every way. Do you think that's possible? Do you think it's possible that you, sitting where you are this evening, could live a life that pleases God in every way? Or is Paul just praying a, a sort of a, is he setting up a, a dummy there, something that's not actually achievable? Friends, I believe this is possible. I believe that our lives can be massively pleasing to God. And that's something that we, we might need to change the way we think about God I think I grew up with a picture of God as somebody who was, who was always on the lookout to see when I was going to get the next small thing wrong so he'd come and, and slap me on the wrists and come and tell me off. Friends, if that's a picture of God that's in your mind this evening, listen to what Paul's praying here. He's praying that we would learn to live lives that please God in every way. Friends, that's lovely. And it's possible. We can live lives that please God. Let's make that a goal. 
in our living, knowing now that our God is gracious and kind. Let's, let's seek to live lives that please Him in every way. There's an interesting dynamic here in, in the last phrase in verse 10. When a Christian starts to live a life that pleases God and they bear fruit in every good work, we find that they'll be growing in the knowledge of God. Do you see what's happening here? We've gone full circle. At the end of verse 10, we end up back in verse 9 because that's what Paul began to pray. You see, in a sense, these, these two verses give us a, a picture of Christian life in the miniature. Whenever we learn about God, we should always be looking to, to put it into practice and live it out. And it's when we put those things into practice and live them out that we will learn more about God. If you don't see those as a circle or as a spiral that pushes us on, we'll get stuck. We'll either be people who'll try to learn as much as we can about God and never put it into practice. And that, that by and large, doesn't work. Well, it, it just doesn't work. Or we'll be people who, who try to put everything into practice but aren't growing in our understanding of God. Do you see how these are both important? On, on this topic and on this need to obey God if we're to get to know Him better, Christian writer Oswald Chambers puts it like this. He says, God will never reveal more truth about Himself until you have obeyed what you already know. My friends, that's a, that's a big challenge. That's a challenge to somebody like me who spends a lot of time reading the Bible and theological textbooks and, and all sorts of other things. God will never reveal more truth about himself until you've obeyed what you already know. It's not study that does it, but obedience. The tiniest fragment of obedience and heaven opens. The profoundest truths of God are yours straight away. Obey God in the things that he shares with you. Are you. Do you feel a little bit stuck in your Christian life tonight? Try obeying God. Obey him in something simple that you know. And see if that doesn't begin a whole new, a whole new freshness in your walk with God as he shows you more of himself and draws you further into the knowledge of himself. Moving on, Paul's third request in, in verse 11 is that God would enable the young Christians in Colossae to live this glorious life. They, they won't be able to live this life unless, as it says in verse 11, they're strengthened with all power according to God's glorious might. Whenever I read that passage, I was reminded of the conversations I had with Russell Burney in the spring of 2002, just before he became the moderator of the General Assembly. It was a time when he was thinking about what his theme would be for the, the year as a moderator. And we spoke a lot about his vision for the church. His vision for the church was that it would become a community that would really understand and really embrace the power of God that is available to us when we open our churches to the Holy Spirit. His theme that he, he finally came to after a lot of deliberation and prayer was living in God's power. Well, I think that's what Paul's talking about here. 
He's praying that these young believers in Colossae would be filled with the Holy Spirit, that they'd be filled with the dynamic power of God that would enable them to live the lives that God's called them to. You'll you'll see as you read on in verse 11, we need that power because it's only when we have that power that we'll have the great endurance and the patience that we need to live the Christian life. So that's the third thing that Paul prays for these these young Christians in Colossae, that they'd be strengthened with all power according to God's glorious might. And then, as I said, very quickly, the, the fourth one and the final one. Paul's final request in this prayer is that the young Christians in Colossae would be joyfully giving thanks to God. Do you remember I said this last week? Thanksgiving is absolutely central to this letter. Paul began earlier as he was praying for the church, giving thanks for them. And now he's praying for them that they would learn to be thankful followers of Jesus Christ. This is really coming home to me these days in my own life. I need to to be growing in gratitude to God. And as I understand what God has done for me, that gratitude becomes more and more natural. I'm beginning to understand that that gratitude is is a massive indicator of a person's maturity in Jesus Christ. When you hear a person in prayer and they're constantly thanking God and praising God, that person knows the work of God in their lives. That's why it's, it's the final of the four things that Paul prays for here. It's a, it's a final sort of mark that this maturity that Paul is praying for has actually arrived. When we're mature in Christ, we, we're grateful and thankful people. I'm not going to spend much time this evening on verses 13 and 14 because, in a sense, I'll find it easier to pick those up next week. In verses 13 to 14, Paul begins to turn his attention to Jesus Christ and his work because that's the reason for our gratitude. We're grateful to God for all that he's done in Jesus Christ. But as I say, we'll look at that next week. Let me close for this evening. I began by talking about the the excitement and the buzz that a parent gets as they watch their child develop and grow. There's no feeling quite like it. It would be a tragedy for any parent if if that growth didn't occur. Friends, it's it's tragic. It's, It's absolutely tragic when those who have been born again in Jesus Christ those who've been set on the way of the new life in Christ, when they don't grow, when they don't exhibit the signs of growth that that Paul has been praying for the believers in Colossae here. That's why Paul prays this prayer. Growth is so important to him. Friends, I, I think this is critical for us in these times at Kirkpatrick. We're beginning to experience Uh, some astounding numerical growth here in our church. But I, I say to you, all of that will be hollow in a sense. All of that will have a massive ring of emptiness 
if those who love Jesus here don't grow in maturity in Jesus Christ. If we stay the, the infants that, that all of us naturally begin as in the faith. Friends, that's why we, we want to shape our church life so that in every way we're encouraging God's people to grow in God's ways. That's why I work hard at teaching to you the whole Bible, because I want you to grow in the knowledge of the will of God. I want to keep doing that, and keep doing that, and keep doing that. So if you listen to me for months and for years, hopefully God's will for your life will begin to, to become clear to you, uh, your understanding of that will flourish, and that your life under God will flourish as a result. Friends, we need to be living out the things that we learn. And that's why we've introduced things like our discipleship groups, where people are given an opportunity to put into practice the things that we learn. If we don't put it into practice, if we don't live it out, God, God will stop teaching us. He'll stop teaching us His Word. It's when we obey that He'll pour out that blessing. And we need to pray along with Paul that, that God will send His Spirit on us and that we'll grow in gratitude. I'm pretty much finished. But I hope that last part didn't sound as though I was telling you that you need to grow. I want to grow as a follower of Jesus Christ. There's nothing more dear to me in my life. I don't want to be the same person in five years' time that I am tonight. I want to be much, much further on in the knowledge of God and growing in His grace. But I want the same for you. I want the same for all of us together as a community of God's people. That's Paul's prayer. Let's make that our prayer, that we would grow in the knowledge of the will of God. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for all that you've done for us. Particularly, we thank you for saving us in Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you for the wonderful way in, in which our lives are, are revolutionized when we come to faith in Jesus. Lord, it's such a, a massive change that you call it a new birth. Lord, as we consider the new lives into which we've been born, Lord, we want to grow. We want, first of all, to learn to crawl. But then we also want to learn to walk and to run and to do all things and to do them well. Lord, we thank you that our desire to grow is surpassed only by your desire to see us grow. Lord, send your Spirit on us. Teach us your ways. Help us to obey them. Fill us with your Spirit. And Lord, help us to grow in our gratitude to you. Lord, thank you for all you've done for us and all that you will do for us in the days ahead.
Amen.